I think. Yeah, he's smiling. He must be, we must be real good friends. Well, isn't it fantastic how quickly a year has passed? just seems like a couple months ago we were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. I guess as we get older, you know, Bill, he's noticing that too. Uh, as we get older, time flies faster. <laughs> and especially in this day and time when we live in a world that they're out here trying to create a new world order. But it's not a new world order, is it? It's the same old, same old. It's like you try to do the same thing over and over and over again. You don't make any changes. You expect different results. That's insanity. This new world order that the, that the world is trying to create is the same one that started back when Halel finally decided to he was going to start a better world than what God had already created. And we know what happened. And soon after man had recreated man, God had recreated man, what happened? There was Halel, who became the devil, and trying to start a better system that God had already started. Just doesn't happen, does it? Well, once again, I want to be happy to see so many of us here. You know, a lot of times you look out on the Sabbath day and there's only uh, about 40 or so people, and today we got close to 80 here, and that's fantastic. It would be great that when we look to the future and God says He's going to gather the church, gather the church back together. I'm having trouble. I just got new teeth, and then I'm not used to it. It's <laughs> just hard. And you don't want to see me talk without my teeth, so... And I don't think God does either, but... <laughs> but we're here to enjoy this time, are we not? Enjoy the feast and enjoy each other and, and look forward to a beautiful future. I look back as I was working on this sermon, I thought back on all my feasts that I've been to in the past 40-some years. The best feast that I've been able to attain, uh, attend have been where we've been together. Big Sandy, when we camped out, I can remember, you know, you have all these people ten feet away. You can't holler at your kids <laughs> because the people behind you, beside you, across the street, they all heard it too. <laughs> kind of makes you love each other. And we could walk around and we could, you know, Stop at somebody's tent and they come on in and you know have a drink or have some food and those were enjoyable times because we fellowshiped together, didn't we? Some of the ones that were not so enjoyable. I can think of a number in St. Pete. You're there. We always tried to go to the feast in St. Pete. We tried to get the services fairly early. Didn't want to fight the crowd. And people would come in, but what was the, the part that was so upsetting most of the time was that during the middle of the sermon, maybe they didn't care for the speaker, and hope that we don't do that here, uh, you would go out in the hall, because I, I was uh, uh, on security for a while, I was on ushering, and you go out in the hall during the middle of a the sermon, there might be three to four hundred people wandering around. 
And you wonder, why did they attend the feast? What were they here for? And then soon as service was over, in fact, during the last song before the final prayer, it looked like a mass exodus. Because we were wanting to get to Disney World or Bush Gardens or maybe go scuba diving or airplane flying, whatever it is. But those feasts didn't seem like a lot of fellowship. It didn't seem like a lot of fellowship with God because you kind of wonder, were they listening? What was the purpose? All those things. So those are feasts that seem to be distracting. You kind of wonder why, why were we even there? And then I had a couple times, a couple years, we went to South Africa, and that was totally enjoyable because we were together, a small group of people like we are here. There's a little bit more here than we had in South Africa. But it's enjoyable when you have all your activities planned around God and God's way of life. In Matthew 18, verse 20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So when we're gathered together in the name of God, of Emmanuel and the Father, He said He's going to be here. So is that why we're here? Are we gathered to be a part of what God is doing? Go to Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16. Because this is the feast, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. First time we look out here and I see friends and brothers and sisters that I've known over the years. Haven't seen us every day. But we're here on the feast together to worship our Father and to worship Christ. Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that, you have gathered in your corn and your wine. For years, I can remember that it was feast time because as a commercial beekeeper, this is the time that our harvest, we, our fall harvest came in. And we had gathered it in. We'd have the funds, extra funds. We might have had, been able to gather in maybe... 40 or 50 or sometimes 80 barrels of honey. And, you know, that's a lot of sweet stuff. But it reminded me of the feast when they gathered that in. Verse 14, And you shall rejoice in your feast. So we're here, are we not, to rejoice, to have something fantastic, to look forward to something that the whole world's going to enjoy. So this is a foretaste, a foretaste of what the world tomorrow is going to be like. And we should be rejoicing. We shouldn't be uh, putting, you know, sadness or sickness or, or other things of this world in our path. We are here to rejoice in the feast. And it says, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant, your maidservant, the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, they're within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast unto the eternal your God in the place which the Lord shall choose. Not some place that we select. For so many years, people have selected a feast for what purpose? 
Disneyland, maybe uh, Pasadena where they had access to so many things, or Branson, or maybe a cruise. And I kind of wondered when I thought, how do you really worship God on a cruise? Because I've been on a cruise, a uh, five-day cruise and a two, three-day cruise. And I wonder, how can you get your mind wrapped on what God is doing and you're out on this cruise? Because you're wanting to do whatever they've got planned and activities more than on what God has got planned. Because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increase and in all your works of your hands. Therefore, you shall surely rejoice. So we're here to be happy, to really rejoice, to have a good time, and to rejoice with each other. Because this is God's feast. It portrays something that is coming in the future that the world is going to be able to be a part of. The world doesn't have that today. They say peace, peace. But there's not peace in this world. There's not the freedom that that we really think we have. We're supposed to be in a country, the land of the brave and the free, with all the freedoms given to us. But when we start looking around, how much freedom do you have? Can you build your house where you want to, as a way you want to? Can you work and put your heart into your work? Or are you governed by other people? So we're here as a time to rejoice in God's peace. God set this aside to look forward to the future. And if that's the case, what's the main purpose? What is the main purpose for us coming here right now? Is it for freedom, for pleasure? Because that's what so many people do. I knew one young, small group of people would go down to the Keys because they liked the warm Florida weather, they liked the crystal clear water, and they told me. They planned their activities, or actually they planned their services, what they said, they planned their services around their activities. Now, is that the main purpose? To me, that sounds like we're planning our feast for pleasure, our pleasure. And if we can fit God in, well, we'll do that. But it has to be based on our schedule. Let's go to Zechariah. We've already been there, but let's go to Zechariah 14. In verse 1, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord come, and your spoil shall be divided among the midst. So here's a time after the, uh, talking about the day of trumpets, when Christ is going to come, the day of the eternal. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses raffled, and the women ravaged, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. 
It's what we talked about during trumpets and atonement. This is a time coming in the future. A time of sadness and sickness and darkness and a lot of people are going to die because mankind is still trying to follow Satan. Verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the mount shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. And you shall flee into the valley of, of the mountains. For the valley of the mountain shall reach to Azel. Yes, and you shall flee like the flee from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all saints with him. Returning to this earth, those of the ones that have put their heart and their life around Christ, who are walking like he walks, talking like he talks, those are the ones that have married Christ. They're coming back to this earth. And it shall be, in verse 8, in that day that the living water shall go forth from Jerusalem, half toward the uh, the former sea and half toward the hinder sea in the summer and in the winter it shall be. So this is talking about a time, a future time, that we're, we're looking forward to here right now at the Feast of Tabernacles. That Christ's going to send out living waters to heal the land, to heal the waters. And there's going to be peace that we don't know about. Peace that shall be far more than what men want to bring. Because their peace is selfish peace. This is God's peace for the betterment of all people. And the land shall be, uh, shall be returned as a plain from Gibeah to Ramoth, south to Jer- uh, Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up. And the inhabitants of it placed from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the towers of Hanel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Can you wrap your mind around that? A time when there's going to be safety? Peace in which people will be a living. So there are going to be human beings, and they're not. This is talking about a time of, through the Feast of Tabernacles, a thousand years in which Satan is going to be bound and restricted from mankind. Oh, they're going to have to fight their own mind, they're going to have to fight their attitudes. But you know, it's not going to happen overnight that people will worship God. Notice verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Mankind, 
is going to go. That's going to be a requirement to come and worship God. We don't worship in this nation, God. We have all of our idols. And even in the church, you know, we have our idols. Is it not an idol to set your feast around Disney World? You know, if they are willing to miss part of the feast for entertainment. It always seemed that there in St. Pete, the middle of the feast, you would be, if there was 8,000 people at the feast, you would be running anywhere from 800 to 1,000 people less on the middle of the feast. And where were they? What was their purpose? And it shall come, and it shall be, that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, upon them shall be no rain. So apparently, it's going to take time, isn't it? Apparently, there will be a group of people that just haven't understood that you must come and worship God. Just like there is in the church today. People think it's not important to make all the services. People think it's not important to come to where God sets His, his feast because, you know, we have other things we have to do. And so what happens then? God says there's going to be no rain. They're going to have to learn that there is a way to do things and a way not to do things. And a way not to do it is not to keep the feast. And so they'll have no rain. And if the families of Egypt go not up and come not, that there no rain, they shall, uh, there shall be the plague wherewith the Eternal will smite the heathen that comes not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's going to be a punishment. So it takes time for people to be healed. It takes time for them to come and, and be a part of what God is doing. Verse 20, And in that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the eternal. In that day, holiness shall be unto eternal. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 now. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Because this day represents a fantastic future. A thousand years of peace, people having their own vine and fig tree, being able to raise their children in safety. You don't have to worry about uh, pedophiles. You don't have to worry about young women or young men walking down the street and someone coming up and kidnapping them. That's not going to be. There's not going to be theft in a place where you can't trust somebody else for their word. I found that hard to live by one time. I had a handshake agreement. I never kept his agreement. His word wasn't good. But in the world tomorrow, if somebody gives you their hand and says, I will do this, they're going to do it. Because they're not going to be influenced by the wrong People. Romans 8, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Emmanuel Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So this day, the Feast of Tabernacles, this seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, represents a time which we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So being here, we should be spiritually minded. Our thoughts, our efforts, our actions, our playing, our working, our being a part of what's going on here should be not after the flesh, but after God's way of life. We are here, if we're that way, then we're here pleasing God, are we not? We're seeking God's will, not our will. For the law of the Spirit of life in Emmanuel has made us free from the law of sin and death. Because we're doing it God's way, we're not underneath the law of sin and death because in our minds have been written God's way of life. We want to live like God lives. We want to live like Christ lives. For what the law would not do, you know, the law can't give you eternal life, can it? What the law could not do in it was weak through the flesh, God sends His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So Christ made it possible that we can be a part of what's coming in the future. If we marry Christ, we're going to be there to help and guide your people into this peace. So we're here to learn then how to please God. This should be the primary thing of the Feast of Tabernacles, is pleasing God. But too easy to, you know, we're flesh and blood, we're, we're human, we want to, we want to have pleasure. But the primary function should be to please the Father. Verse 4, that righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we should be walking the way Christ walked. You know, it tells us if we have the same mind, that we are to have that same mind that Christ had to walk in that flesh. I mean, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Is that not what happens? If, if you're so tied to this world, then you're going to walk after the physical things, which is money, cars, boats, uh, jobs. Those are the, the important things of the flesh. But we're not here to learn those things, but we're here to learn how to walk in the Spirit. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of God, or the things of the Spirit. So we're here to be educated. We'll have seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. So we'll have about twelve sermons. Twelve sermons to help us and guide our thoughts and wrap them around God. Plus activities that have been planned. Planned to not to keep the mind on fleshly things, but how great our, our Creator is and what He's given to us. 
For the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. And so we should have our mind set on life, should we not? Should we not be focusing on God's way of life? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The human natural mind does not want to do things God's way. For it is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So we're here to learn how to put the carnal mind out. To be a part of what God is doing. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, he points it out. Why are you here? What is the main focus at the feast? The main focus is Christ, is the Father, is a future like Abraham said. He looked for a city that wasn't made by human hands. But he was looking for a city made by God. A city of those worshiping him, following him. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's not a his. We have to have God's Spirit. We have to have that desire to be a part of what Christ is doing. You know, what God looks at the way mankind has kept the feast, the church, rather, has kept the feast. So often, we have the wrong attitudes, we have the wrong basic uh, idea what we should do at the feast, and yet God doesn't think much of that. In 1 John 2.15, John was inspired to write, Love not the world. But we are part of this world. We all want to be a part of this world sometimes. We want what the world has. And that's an influence by Satan. So he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So at this feast, we're not to love the things that are of this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we need to analyze our life. Why am I here? What's my main focus? In Isaiah 1, verse 14 says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Because we have not focused on Christ. It's not been our main key, the main goal that we've come to the feast for. I've had people tell me, I go to the feast because it's my time. It's my vacation time and I'm going to enjoy my vacation time. But the main goal should be to hear and understand God and to be with Christ and with the Father. Verse 19 of Isaiah chapter 1. If you be willing and obedient, yes, shall, uh, you shall eat the good of the land. If we are willing to do it Christ's way, he promises that we'll have the best of everything. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the eternal has spoken it. So I see the, 
discrepancies in why we keep the feast and where we go for the feast. I can remember back when the first year, 2002, we had no place to go. And what caused me to think this way was the minor prophets. I, I listened to five of the minor prophets, and I thought, wow, this is like a new calling, a second calling. And so we called and talked to Darrell and found he was coming out here. I thought I'd come out here to the feast in Zion. There'd be at least three to four hundred people. So we had, what, sixty? But most people were not looking to come to the desert southwest. And when I first decided to move out here to the desert southwest, it was at the Feast of Tabernacles listening to sermons and I understood that this is where God wanted us to come. I didn't choose coming to here because of Daryl. I didn't choose it because of the lower number of people or the entertainment. I came here because God says this is where I want you to be. And so we moved out here. And I know my wife was sitting in the services like here, and I said, you know, the light, the light came on. I said, God wants us to move out here. I guess we're moving out here. My wife thought, that's cool. I'm glad she, she talked with me about this. <laughs> but, you see, it was because I was at the Feast of Tabernacles wanting to serve God. I came to the Feast of Tabernacles in Zion because this seems it was the spiritual food that I was gaining. It wasn't the entertainment from Disney World or driving to St. George or going to Las Vegas or whatever it was. No, it was the surroundings that let me see that my Creator had a lot in this. And I could see God's hand here. So why did you come here today? Because I'm sure most of you, the same thoughts come. That you have seen that Zion is an important area. And that God selected this place. Not Daryl, not me, not you. Oh, you selected it because you saw God's hand in it. So if we're here to worship our Creator, if we're here to gain understanding of our God, then God requires us to do something about that, doesn't He? So I have a few points here of things that God looks for you to do here at the feast to make this a rejoicing, an enjoyable feast, and one that will bring honor and praise and glory to our Creator. The first thing is prayer. It's so easy to get so caught up in the excitement and and uh, early morning prayer, uh, early morning uh, activities, and maybe coming together, and you know, and we can maybe do a five-minute prayer, or maybe even forget it because hey, we're going to be at services anyway, and we'll pray at services. No. God expects us to be close to Him. If we're going to be rejoicing here at the feast, the first 
thing we have to do is ask for God's help to guide our thoughts, to guide our hearing, because sometimes we can sit back there and just let things go by. So you're going to have 12 sermons, I think it is, or at least, yeah, about 12 sermons and sermonettes to, to help us to worship our Creator. So we need to ask God to guide our thoughts. You know, the men that do the sermonettes, it, it's not just a, well, I'll, let's see here, I'll pick up a page here. No. They put hours into this on their knees, studying, putting it together. And you know, we should be asking God, hey, guide the thoughts of those that are speaking sermonettes and sermons. Help them with the preparation that I can learn something at the feast. I can learn how to love the Father. Love you, Father, and love each other. So if we ask God for that in prayer, He'll answer it. So prayer becomes the very first primary thing. We need to pray for God's help and guidance. Pray because we can see what the future is like. Psalm 73, verse 28. Psalm 73, 28. But it is good for me to draw near unto God. Well, in prayer, we start the feast every day with drawing close to God. The closer we are with our Father, the closer He'll be with us. So He says, draw near to God. I have put my trust in the eternal God that I may Declare all His works. How can we talk? How can we declare how great God is if we're not here and God is teaching us through those that He sends to do that? So it's important that we have the right frame of mind when we walk here, when we talk to each other, and we need God's help to do that. To put self out. James 4, verse 8. James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. So here we're told, again, to get as close to the Father as possible. It's important. It's really important that we get that contact with our Father. Because the whole thousand years, we're going to be out there helping people to become close to the Father. And we need to be close to the Father ourselves. So we should be drawing nigh through prayer. Psalm 145, verse 18. 145, verse 18. The eternal is nigh unto them that call upon Him to all that call upon Him in truth. So God says, I'm going to be as close to you as possible. So to make this feast enjoyable to the Father, we have to be as close to Him as we possibly can. So we're told to do that. We can add to prayer, we can ask for wisdom. So we hear a sermon or a sermonette, 
ask for wisdom so I can see how to apply this in my life to help others when, when it comes to that point. We can ask God to give the speakers wisdom in what they speak, that their words will convey how much love. We can ask in prayer for good weather. You know, I've been at the Feast of Tabernacles and sitting there in Big Sandy in a tent and have a downpour and everything gets wet. So you... It might have a tendency to damper the feast, but then if you have the right contact with the Father, you can let that pass by and say, well, I'm learning a lesson here. Maybe I set my tent where the door was up on the uphill slope, and when it rained, my whole tent became a bag of water. But, you know, but you can laugh about it, and you can enjoy it. But so we can ask for good weather, for the activities that are planned. For good health. We have some that can't come to the feast because of poor health. Some that have difficulties on a daily basis. And some that come to the feast that struggle. So we can ask our Father to help each one of us to have a good health. That we don't get sick. That we don't get so wore out. Because there again, you know, we can enjoy the feast so good that we don't get enough sleep. So, you know, you've got to be careful there too. Second thing, to make this feast enjoyable to our Father and to each other is that at services, you have an opportunity, you have an opportunity to sing. Sing praises to God. We're told to make a joyful noise. So you say, well, I can't carry a tune in a basket. I can't carry it in a truck. But, you know, God says, do the best you can. We have some people here that have good voices. Some that can carry us. Some that just sound like bullfrogs, maybe. (laughs) But the whole effort is, are you putting your heart into it? So, you have an opportunity to sing. You know, as a song leader, when, when you're directing, and a lot of times I'll, I'll listen, I'll make out like I'm singing, but I'm listening because I like to hear how good it is. I can remember once uh, we had a piano player, and she actually followed the song leader. So if he sped up, she would, and she slowed down. And if he quit, she did. And that happened. We were singing, there was probably 200 people, and and it was, you know, it was really enjoyable to sit there and listen. I just put my hands down because I wanted to hear how great it was. She quit playing. Everybody else quit singing. (laughs) That comes embarrassing, too. But, you know, God wants to hear you. And to make this an enjoyable feast, you have to put your heart into it. So the songs are there to bring joy to the Father and to each other. The song leaders enjoy hearing you sing, whether you know it or not. We enjoy a a good singing congregation. 
Psalm 66, verse 1. God says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all you lands. Sing forth the honor of His name and make praise and glorious. So, we're bringing honor to God. Your chance on every opportunity that we have, and we have five songs generally on every, every service, your chance to bring joy and pleasure and honor to our Father by singing. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Eternal. So here David said, let us sing to God. Not to the song leader, but you're singing praises to your Creator. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Here we're singing to God. We're putting our heart out because we love Him so much. We want to show the joy and pleasure through the songs that we sing. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with songs. So we are commanded, actually, to sing. I can look over here. When I lose parts, I can... I can almost rely on Dwight. He, he sings loud and he gets me back to where I, when I fall off track. But it's enjoyable. And I'm sure our Father wants that. So we're commanded to sing to our God. So you have that opportunity. So the second thing that we have the opportunity at the feast was to sing. Pray first. Our relationship with the Father begins with prayer. Our relationship with each other here begins with prayer. And the joy that we can have and show that thanks to our Creator, it's sing. We can really say, boy, I really enjoy being here at the feast because, and I can let the Father know that He's given me that opportunity. Psalm 98, verse 1. O sing unto the eternal a new song, For He has done marvelous things. Our God has done fantastic. It's a marvel that we are here. It's a marvel that we are able to hear God's way of life. It's a marvel the things that God has allowed us to understand. His right hand and His holy arm has gotten Him the victory. We can sing that it is The victory is because of the power of our Creator. And we can honor Him by saying, in our song, by singing, Great is our God. The Lord has made known His salvation. That's why we sing praises to Him, because He's made known His salvation. And His righteousness has He openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt? It was the Creator that brought them out, not Moses. Moses was only a tool that God used to lead them, but it was the Creator who brought them out. And when they crossed crossed the Red Sea, they sang Moses' song of joy. They all sang. You have that opportunity. So the second important thing is to sing to our Creator. And you can go through the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms that cover singing. 
and how important it is to sing. The third point. To make this feast a joy, not only to you, but to our Creator, would be to hear God's Word. The reading of God's Word from the Scriptures. It's important that you make every service. Like I said that why I moved out here to Zion, I mean out here to the desert southwest, because I was listening to every service. And God, through step by step by step, through all eight days, opened my understanding that this is where you want to be. This is where I am working. Now, had I missed a sermon, maybe I decided someplace in the middle of the feast to go scuba diving, or not around here, but maybe go off to some other place, a four-wheeler or whatever, and miss a service because I was tired of going to services or because I had something of my own to do. I might not have moved out here. I might not have caught the whole picture because it was a step-by-step-by-step-by-step plan that God leads us in the direction He wants us to go. So hearing and being here at services is extremely important. And hearing God's Word, Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33, starting verse 30. Also, you son of man, the children of the people shall uh, talk against you by the walls and the doors of the houses and speak one to another. Every one his brother saying, Come, I pray you, and hear the word which that uh, comes forth from the eternal. So, we should be telling each other, come, because God is inspiring what's going to be brought to us through this feast. It's God is in charge. Thus, we have a pastor that God selected. I know that Daryl didn't choose this for his own calling. He was out of the, you know, he pointed that out, I think, last Sabbath or, or in the past couple of weeks. He said that. It really wasn't his desire. But you see, we might not have the desire, but God does. If we're willing to follow his directions, he will put in charge who he wants. And so, we come here and expect God to teach us. We should be expecting to be taught. We should be expecting to learn how to better honor our Father. And they come unto you as a people come, and they sit before you as a people, and uh, they hear your words, but they will not do them. How often does that happen? How often do we come and sit here and hear God's Word and say, Oh, that is a lovely song. Why, God has inspired the speaker today, and boy, am I filled with it. For they, their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness. So we should be here to hear God's Word, not 
where our thoughts are. It's easy to sit in services. I've been there, like you. And something sparked your mind and you're off who knows where. And when you come back to it, you've missed some very important points. So it's not that God has got a, a lovely speaker, but He's here to teach us. We heard even last time Daryl spoke, he said, He is commanded to teach. He's commanded to cry aloud and spare not. Because God doesn't want you to think that He's just a great speaker and it's so nice to sit here and hear it. No. God expects us to learn. He expects you to sit here and come to grips and understand Him. You know, we make it available that you can go back and hear the sermons again because it's easy. I think man can only retain, what, 15% maybe of what's said. But if you hear it and hear it and hear it before and long, you're going to get just about everything that God wants you to have from it. Proverbs chapter 2. We're here to learn. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commands with you. So here we're told to receive the words. God's going to tell you what he wants you to know. And so, at services, you know, prayers first, which is so important to be that close contact with God. So we have prayer. And now we're told we're going to be hearing God's Word. So prayer, singing, gets us in the mood, you know, to hear God's Word. And then hearing God's Word. Listening. If you're not hearing, how will you know what what God wants from you? So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. So when you're hearing these things, apply them. Apply them to wisdom and understanding. Because there's a lot we don't know about God's way of life. And it's revealed through preaching. Like Paul said, Christ uses preaching, even though it seems foolishness, but you gain understanding. Yes, and if you will... Cast after knowledge, or care after knowledge, and lift up your voice to understanding. And if you seek her like silver and search for her as as for fine treasure, then you shall understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of our God. Being here, gaining understanding, comes from hearing. And God takes that time to teach us. He wants us to be a part of what He's doing. So are you honoring God by being here at services? Yes. Are you learning how to love God? Yes. Isaiah 28, verse 9. Whom shall He teach knowledge? Who's He going to teach understanding to? The world? 
They don't want to hear it. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Not the world. They don't want to understand these things. They have their own ideas. Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. This is who he's trying to get the message across to. You have been brought here because you're ready for strong meat. And you get the strong meat by being a part of it. So the third thing is being at services all the time. Once in a while, I know people will get sick. But it's not because I just got tired or I don't want to hear this speaker or Daryl jumped our case so bad I got to have a day off. You know? No. If he jumps our case because God says they need their case jumped on because they're missing the point. So then the fourth thing, a very important part of the feast, something that's extremely important at the feast, and that's fellowship. Because you're here fellowshipping number one with God. That should be a number one fellowship. John, 1 John 1, verse 3. That we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Emmanuel the Christ. That's what we're here for. Honoring God and fellowshipping with our God. We do that every feast, every day, is to fellowship with God first. And if we want to be fellowshipping with each other, we have to fellowship with the Father, don't we? And being at services makes that possible. I think it's Hebrews 10. I think it's where I want to go now. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So here we're commanded not to forsake the opportunity to be together. That's fellowshipping with each other and with Christ and with the Father. And as we see If you're looking at what's happening in the world, and you see what's happening in this country, you see how they're trying to destroy the country, and see what's happening, where's your faith? Your faith is built around brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're commanded to be here. This is a commanded assembly, remember. You are commanded to be a part of what God is doing. Not to decide for yourself, well, I just don't think I want to be there today. No. You're commanded to be a part of what God is doing. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, Be not unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? So, how can we be a part of this world 
and a part of what God is doing. It's like having one foot on a banana peel and the other in a grave. You know, sooner or later, you're going to slip. Sooner or later, you're going to go the wrong direction. So we're commanded to fellowship with our Father. That is the important part. We're also... So our first fellowship then is with the Father and with Christ. And secondly, we're commanded to fellowship with God's people. 1 John 1, verse 3. That which we have seen, we have heard declare we unto you. We already read that one. Our fellowship is with each other. We can do that in the activities that have been planned. If we're not being participating with what God has allowed us to come, and, and we sat down and had the feast and asked, what would you like to see accomplished at the feast? And they come up with a number of activities. They're going to have a talent show. A lot of us don't have any talent, but it's going to be a fun night, maybe. Not so much talent show, but a fun night. Being together. You know, maybe you don't have some great talent, and, you know, but you can help others by fellowshipping together and, you know, laughing or supporting or however it is. A cookout. Some of us can't cook, but we'll try. So we have a lot of activities. We have an activity that's going to go and visit and see the surrounding areas and learn what God has written down for us to grow and see. So we have a lot of activities set aside, and that is where our fellowship comes in. It's fellowshipping together as a group, not as an individual. So much, so often, people have set the wrong ideas for the feast, and their fellowship is with a TV, or their fellowship is with some amusement park, or some movie, or something on that area, and not with God's people. And the fifth area, the fifth point, is food. We're, we're told that we should enjoy this feast with the things we eat. We eat the good food. But in that area, what do we enjoy first? Deuteronomy 14. Verse 23. And you shall eat before the Eternal your God in the place where He chooses to place His name. And your, uh, His name, the corn, uh, the tithe of your corn, of your wine, the oil, the fatling of the herd, and of your flock, and the midst, and learn to fear the Eternal your God. So here we're told to eat. We're told to eat good food and enjoy it. And so we have potlucks. We have a cookout. We have a lot of opportunities to eat good food. But the most important thing is in Matthew 5, verse 6, where it says, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. So hungering and thirsting for God's Word makes us want to be a part 
of what God is doing. So are we doing those things? Is this part of what we are wanting to accomplish at the feast? God wants, us, wants our feast to be enjoyable. He wants us to love Him and serve Him. And we begin by having prayer, singing to God at services, starting out every day with that close relationship with the Father. We come here, we begin with opening with prayer or with singing. We sing praises and joy to our Creator. We're hearing God's Word, which is so important in our life. To know what God wants us to do. And then we have fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. And then we have good food. The right food. So are you here to please yourself or to please God? You have to ask yourself, why, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's the most important thing for the Feast of Tabernacles? Zechariah 14. To worship the King, the Lord of hosts. That's primary Secondary, just like the commandments, the first four commandments teach us to love the Father. And the second six tell us to love each other. So we're primarily to love and learn to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to fellowship with Him, to eat of the food that He supplies, to sing praises to Him, and to fellowship with each other. So have a great feast.